Good morning, Trinity Fellowship Church family, all those who may be uh, listening online this morning. As I look out over an empty uh, sanctuary, I am picturing uh, where you and your families would be sitting, thinking of you, and praying for you uh, in these uh, strange and challenging times. And before we open God's Word together, I want to apologize to you as a church family Uh, Last week during our worship service, I had made some comments about social distancing that upon further reflection and conviction, I realized they were not overly prudent or understanding. And so I want to apologize, ask your forgiveness uh, for those words, any message that may have uh, been communicated through that. Certainly grateful for the grace and mercy of our God, how he extends that through you, uh, his people. We're going to continue our reading this morning, our study of 2 Peter, and focus our attention on verses 16 through 21. And we've learned that Peter's top priority, his every effort before he dies, is to stir up the church by way of reminder. He's recalling the grace and provision of God as the underlying motivation for obedience and for growing in godliness. And then considering the importance of of recall and remembering, he turns to the Word itself, the authority and trustworthiness of the Scriptures that the church has available to them. So he's going to make it very clear uh, what Word they should trust, what Word they should lean into at a time when there may be considerable questions, other stories being passed around. And so we're going to begin reading at verse 16 of, 2 Peter 1. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is God's holy and inspired word to us. Would you join me in prayer? Our great God and Father, we do praise you for your word. To think that we can open your word and read it and understand it at all different places, yet united by your spirit, Lord, we are amazed and we thank you. We pray that you would guide our understanding and application of your word this morning. That it would bear fruit in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we're grateful for this opportunity to open your word together, even though we are separated in so many ways. Lord, it is your spirit that unites us, that encourages us. It is you who feed us through your word. Lord, may my words, may the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing and glorifying to you. We offer in the name of Christ. Amen. Does the church really doubt Peter's testimony? 
Are they having a hard time believing him? Is there something that he said that they're not buying? Maybe they don't want to believe it. And I know with the spread of coronavirus and the precautions that we're all taking at this time, uh, we're hearing a lot about it, we're talking a lot about it, understandably so. And so I don't want to make too many references uh, to that. But after reading and rereading Peter's words here, it actually made me think of the Chinese ophthalmologist, Dr. Lee, who at the very end of the year, the end of, of December, sent a message to several of his colleagues warning about the potential infection of what we now know as COVID-19. He told them to wear protective clothing and to be cautious. Then a few days later, he was summoned by the Public Security Bureau and told to sign a letter that accused him of making false comments. Turns out that Dr. Lee and several others are being investigated for spreading rumors. Danger of this virus? Well, it's just not true. We don't believe it, or we don't want to believe it. And about a month later, Dr. Lee was diagnosed with the virus and ended up dying from this. And since then, the Chinese government, they have apologized, but done their best to silence any opposition to their response. When we don't believe something is true, or we don't want to believe the truth, well, then we don't consider ourselves accountable to that truth. And this will be significant to what Peter is addressing here. Accusations have been made against him. It'll come out in these verses. And so he makes this distinction between the false teachers and the true teachers, ones that the church actually should be listening to. Is Peter one of them? One of these true teachers tells them why they should trust him and the message that he carries. And he does this by making two arguments uh, in support of a very specific truth. The Lord Jesus is returning. He's coming again with power and glory to judge all men. That's the truth. And he lays out two arguments that complement each other beautifully. His own witness, a present witness, and the prophetic word. Present witness and prophetic word. You say, come on, Peter, all this talk of Jesus coming again to judge people, are you, are you serious? Sounds a bit far-fetched. I mean, when we don't get enough sleep and we've had a few too many drinks, we start seeing people and hearing voices too. Nice try. Leave us alone. To which the apostle responds, this, this is not made up. This is no fairy tale. Jesus is coming back with power. We see another one of Peter's word pairings here. Power and parousia. He uses the same language in chapter 3 for Christ's return, which helps our interpretation here. The powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, How does Peter know this? Because of what he saw and heard on that mountain where Jesus was transfigured before him. Verses 17 and 18. And it wasn't just him. Uh, James and John were there with him, and they could testify to this same event. Uh, We find it in Matthew 17, 1-9. It's also in the other two synoptic Gospels. Before their very eyes, Jesus is robed in glory, gleaming like the sun. And then they hear the voice of God the Father giving honor to the Son. This is my beloved Son. When Peter says here that they were eyewitnesses 
of his majesty or grandeur. He's very likely making a contrast. The language was often used to describe the Roman emperor and his divine majesty. So Peter, maybe subtly or not so subtly, you know, going after that. True worship should be directed to Jesus. One who is far greater and more magnificent than any human ruler. The very majesty of the one and only God was shared by His Son. So the deity of Jesus is clearly on display. He received both honor, the approval, commendation of the Father, and glory in His transfigured appearance on that mountain. It's worth noting that Peter did not include everything that the voice from heaven said. In the Gospels we read that The Father said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The listen to Him was an important point in the Gospels. This is my Son, the Anointed One. Believe Him and follow Him. And That's no less true, but it's not Peter's point here. Which actually helps us in in authenticating this letter. If someone is writing well after Peter's death, late in the first century and their second century, or they're claiming his name, they would have access to the words of the Gospels and exactly what they said. So it supports an earlier writing and a unique accounting from Peter to make his point. And what's that point? Sorry, I'm going to mention the virus again. When we look at how the coronavirus has spread in other countries, it is an indication of what is ahead perhaps for us. So the question is, will we prepare, give attention to these indicators? Peter is emphasizing the honor and glory given to Jesus because that is what is ahead. That's what it will look like at His second coming. The transfiguration is an indicator. The manifestation of the coming kingdom of our God and of the Lord Jesus, His anointed Son. Now before we look at his complimentary argument, I want you to ask yourself, what do I need to believe that something is true? Or more specifically, what do I need to believe that Jesus is coming back to judge the nations? Do you need a special vision or an audible voice from heaven to believe what you've heard? Maybe a good movie, a good motion picture that you can watch over and over again to believe. Peter is an eyewitness. He saw the glory and heard the honor given to Jesus. So there's an authority behind his account. Words that can be trusted. But let's consider the words of Jesus in John 20 after his resurrection. He appears to his disciples. They can see him, touch him. And then he says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Peter certainly remembered this. Listen to what he put in his first letter. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. How is this possible? How do we believe in one we cannot see? What do we need to believe in the coming of Jesus the first time, the incarnation, and his coming a second time with power and glory to judge all peoples? And Peter helps us with this in verses 19 through 21. The church in the first century has something. We have something now that so wonderfully confirms the apostles' own witness. 
says we have something more sure, something entirely reliable in the prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention. So the church has this prophetic word, and it could be the Old Testament as a whole that Peter is referring to, but more likely, the Old Testament prophecies that address the coming of the Lord, the day of judgment and salvation. Isaiah 42 speaks to this. Psalm 2 is an excellent example. Here are a few verses from Psalm 2. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. And you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Peter is teaching that Jesus is the anointed Son of Psalm 2. He is the Son who will return to judge the nations. The transfiguration of Jesus is... Peter is referring to it here, is that interpretive help. It's a verification of the prophetic word in places like Psalm 2. This is who Jesus is. He's coming back in power. And I got a preview of this on the mountain. So Peter's not making a contrast here as if his witness of the transfiguration was more or less reliable than the words of the prophets. No, his experience confirmed the word is entirely reliable. And it's this word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It illuminates the way that is right and good and true. This is a word that will give direction and warning and comfort and assurance to believers until the Lord returns. We had a night uh, last week. It was a pretty clear evening. And there was a very bright you know, celestial body in the western horizon. And it was so big and bright, we assumed it was a planet, but we still got out our, our little uh, Skyview app and pointed it up at the horizon and, and confirmed that it was Venus, the second planet from the sun. And the language that Peter uses, until the day dawns and the morning star rises, the Greek pictures the bright light of Venus in the western sky. And still today, on a clear morning... In those pre-dawn hours, you can see Venus as the morning star. And Peter may be alluding here to Numbers 24, 17. He's just written, pay attention to the prophetic word. Maybe giving this example from Numbers. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. The coming of Jesus will be magnificent and visible to all. But it begs the question, how does the morning star rise in our hearts? Seems to be a phrase that's a little strange. If this is a picture of the return of Jesus, then the day is coming when believers will have a full and a complete comprehension of who He is. We will know Christ in all of His glory. It's that difference between looking at someone in a mirror or reflected off a shiny metal and actually seeing that person, uh, seeing them in person, face to face. And Paul reminds us of that. You know, the day's coming. We can take our eyes off of the books and the charts that tell us about the star 
and look and see the star for ourselves. The day is coming. We will no longer need the, the mediation of the Scriptures because we will see our Savior face to face. Our eyes of faith will be made sight. The Apostle closes this argument against myth and fable by reminding the church that the prophecy of the Old Testament did not originate with men. It's not just individual interpretation of an event or a situation. This word comes, it originates by the Holy Spirit and is transcribed through human authors. And the personalities and gifts and backgrounds of these authors are still there, they remain, but God is the source, the authority behind both written and oral prophecy. God speaking through human authorship. Paul speaks of this inspiration in 2 Timothy 3. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And some have asked whether Peter is addressing the origin of the Scripture or the interpretation of the Scripture here. Maybe the false teachers have rejected Peter's interpretation and therefore reject the truth of Christ's coming. But I really think Peter is bringing both of these ideas together by interpreting his experience in light of the Old Testament prophecy. Both the revelation itself and the interpretation of that revelation are from God, not men. It really underscores the importance of our prayer of illumination. So we open God's Word together as you read it privately. Lord, open the eyes of my heart to Your Word. Give me understanding as I read it and meditate upon it. It's interesting and instructive for us when we consider how much emphasis has been placed on the succession of Peter in the life of the church, particularly in the Roman Catholic Church. That particular catechism of the Roman Church says that the pastoral office of Peter as the foundation of the church is continued by bishops and primarily the Pope. It says of the Pope as a successor to Peter that as a pastor of the entire church has full supreme and universal power over the whole church. A power which he can always exercise unhindered. It's part of the Catholic catechism. Peter never mentions such power. Uh, nor does he hold up a human successor as the authority for the church. Christ is the king and head of the church. He is the only supreme. And it's the testimony of the apostles that provide its foundation. So Peter holds up the authority and teaching of the Bible, specifically here the Old Testament prophets, in these verses. So for Christians, it is our willingness to submit to the Word of God not a human successor that drives our faithfulness and our obedience to Christ. Think of the reformers like Wycliffe and Tyndall, Luther, Calvin, Knox. They really recaptured and reminded the church of this authority. And it's this banner of sola scriptura that was carried into the Great Awakening and by the Puritans and continues today in many segments of the church. The story of God and not the myths of men. If we believe that the return of Jesus is a thing of fairy tales, 
Or we see the indicators laid before us and we think, you know, that's just not true. Or I don't want to believe that this is true. Then our lives will reflect this. We'll respond accordingly. If Jesus is not coming back to judge, we refuse to believe this, then we're going to keep living the way we want to live. The thought process is like this. If you want to believe it, fine, but I'm not accountable to this God or even responsible for anyone else. And if I do meet this God somewhere along the line, well then he'll, He'll understand I did my best. And because I've heard that He is a God of love, then He'll forgive me and all will be well. This is a false premise that Satan just loves. It's a lie that his children cling to. I can live for me. I can live however I want to and it won't matter when I breathe my last. One would think that there was anything that should curb this sense of self, of control, of of self-sovereignty. It would be a situation like we find ourselves in right now around the world with the spread of this virus. Yet even in times of such uncertainty and fear, how many will rely on their own self-preservation and the bailout saviors of the moment, all the while crying, we will win! their very last breath. And we're told by the authority and inspiration of God's Word that on that great and terrible day of Jesus' coming, when the earth is cleansed in judgment, that so many will gnaw their tongues in anguish and they will curse the God of heaven for their pain, yet they will not repent of their deeds and give Him glory. The message is clear. The prophetic Word is clear. The Son of God is returning in power and glory. And you and I are accountable to Him for every thought, every word, every deed. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. His every thought, His every word and deed was perfect in your place. He was afflicted and died in your place. And He has taken His life up again in the place of all who would seek Him as Savior and Lord. He is our rock and our Redeemer, our refuge and shelter from the storm. And He will save to the uttermost all those who draw near to our God through Him. That's where forgiveness is found. That is where life is found today and forever through the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. There's a beautiful picture book by Dale Talmasoff. It's called This is No Fairy Tale. Uh, Really well written, beautifully illustrated. In the front, Pastor John Piper includes a short foreword. Last few sentences read like this. Nobody ever spoke like Jesus. Nobody ever lived like Jesus. Nobody ever died like Jesus. This is a wonderful story. But what makes the story so important is that it is true. It is not a fairy tale. It really happened. You can believe it and build your whole life on it. Come, let's read it together. Brothers and sisters, let's read it and keep reading it together. The return of Jesus is no fairy tale. It is the truth of a prophetic word that only confirms the reliability of Peter's own experience. And when Jesus returns, that prophetic word will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled by the living word himself. So until the day dawns, the morning star rises in our hearts, we have the privilege and the joy of reading and giving attention to the holy and inspired word 
of our God. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we marvel at your grace in giving us this word. It is a word that carries your authority. A word that encourages us, warns us, teaches us. It is a word that assures us of your covenant love and faithfulness. Lord, we pray that you would imprint this word upon our hearts. That we would hide it in our hearts. That we would not sin against you, but give you glory and praise. Lord, you have told us of your own love and delight for us in this word. May we respond in obedience, in pursuing a godliness, offering ourselves as living sacrifices to you who have sacrificed all for us in the giving of Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen.